Hello, and welcome to another episode of Free and Clear. I'm John Collins, the founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org. And with me, I have Naomi Wright, the founder of beemboldened.com. And we're asking the difficult questions that people have about religious abuse, breaking them down into simple terms, and helping people to become free and clear. Naomi, we've been getting such good feedback on the episodes lately. The, the questions keep pouring in, and people are really excited about the show. Yeah, it's great. We really do love hearing y'all's questions because, I mean, for a couple reasons. I mean, first, yes, it, it continues to give us questions to answer for everyone, Um it's also just really telling of what is still going on out there, who's saying what, you know, maybe once in a while there's something we haven't heard, which is helpful um, from a different splinter group. And so it's it's educational as well as, again, you know, gives us those questions to answer for everyone, questions that you really want answers to. So please keep them coming. Yeah, it, for me, you know, I've been away from the sect that we left for almost 10 years and over that time, you kind of forget what it's like leaving. When you first leave, people will tell you it is the most painful thing that they've ever had to endure in their entire life. And I don't know, I guess I block it from my memory because I remember the pain. I remember how bad it was. But some of the details that people are sending in this in these questions and comments, you know, that I, I had totally forgotten that that was a real thing for me. It's a real experience. Oh, gosh, absolutely. And um, I would add to that, these groups do continue to morph over time. Like I know mine has pretty drastically. And so hearing updates from different people just kind of keeps me clued in. Because of course, we're on the outside now, we don't really have easy access to the inner workings. (laughs) No one's going to hand that to us, um, unless they're trying to help people. So that's a really huge benefit, I think, too, to keep us in touch with what's going on right now. Right. You know, even I want to say like five years after leaving, the cult that I left looks nothing like the cult that I left. I mean, people are enjoying things that I wasn't allowed to enjoy as a kid. People are going to movies and they've got televisions and those who don't, they have Netflix on computers and phones and I mean, growing up, we were in a a religion that they, you know, forbade this kind of thing. And as a result, people like my family was one. We would go back and forth between sometimes it's allowed to watch TV. Sometimes it's not allowed because, you know, inwardly people are torn with these weird, strange rules that really have no biblical grounding. Yep. Yeah. And we actually I've seen some go the opposite where they started out more lenient and they've just gotten more strict. Right. So that's a tough transition. I'd rather be on the flip side. <laughs> so, right. you know, pick your poison, I guess. But yeah, it's incredible what happens. And then when we look at groups where they have specific, you know, end times dates that come and go, it's interesting to see what happens there. It's also awful to see what happens there because of how they twist things to make it still all be okay and make it still be them who has the truth. Um, but I've seen some groups go through those too, like some misdates. And again, the way the, the doctrine shifts a bit to accommodate it is, is fascinating. Right. Well, today's episode is one that brings back old memories. <clears throat> it's um, like, like so many that we've done. These are questions that I've heard 
in the support groups for many years, and they're very similar to what we experienced, but we're focusing on the pain of leaving and what happens to you after, after we leave. Um, so I'll get right into it. Our first question, our family recently left a religious cult and decided to start attending a local church in our city. For a while, we still had contact with some of our friends in the cult, and then suddenly we were ostracized. Apparently, the minister preached a sermon about us, saying that we were being led by Satan, and anyone who contacted us would be risking their souls. Why are they doing this? First of all, this is so painful. This kind of experience to, especially publicly, to publicly get up in front of everyone and bash a family and say just all of these awful things after they have likely poured so much into the ministry. They've likely given all of themselves financial time, heart and soul to this, and they need to go in a different direction. And this is what happens. It's just... It's a horrible way for it to be handled. It breaks my heart when people go through this experience. Um, This public shaming is just terrible. Most likely, I would say that the reason this is happening is because they don't want you to influence others in the group to leave. And so there's this need to protect themselves and their interests. And so they're going to publicly say that you are awful you're sinners, you're not actually the chosen. Um, And it's actually good that you're gone, that they've been able to get rid of you. Kind of that separation of, you know, the wheat from the chaff. It's like, okay, you're now the chaff, so we can get rid of you. And they need to paint it that way in order to maintain the indoctrination they've worked on for so long, or else it could look like maybe you had a point, maybe you had something valid. They can't leave room for that or they'll start to lose more people. Right. So they have to actually disqualify you. Right. You know, I, I tell people in the support groups, if you want to know whether or not you were in a cult, watch what happens when somebody leaves on bad terms. The difference is so much... I explain it like this. The difference is like... You know, in a Christian church that is healthy and growing, it's like a well that's overflowing. The water is constantly coming up. If you want to go draw water from the well, go to church, you know, take your buckets, go home filled. When a cult, it's the opposite. It's as though you have a water balloon and somebody's just poked a hole in it because somebody left. And what they're trying to do is keep the water in the balloon. They don't want the rest of everybody to leave. It's that big of a difference. Whenever my family left, we were ostracized. We went through all of this. What's interesting is the only reason why I was ostracized was I asked my grandfather a question about the prophet and something that I learned later was a very critical question about the religion that we were in. And instantly, we, I was you know, threatened on the phone call and he cut us off. He cut my wife off, which is interesting because she, he had no idea whether she was still a believer or not. You know, in a Christian church, it would be the equivalent of cutting somebody off who still followed Christ. That's, you know, my wife still followed Christ. And regardless of the situation of somebody leaving, the difference is this significant. Let's say that somebody did do something wrong. Let's say that somebody had... I don't know, a problem with alcoholism, and 
they were struggling and they finally said, look, I'm tired of hearing all this preaching about alcoholism. I want to drink. I'm going home. I'm leaving. In a normal Christian church, the pastor is going to go try to help this person who has an alcohol addiction and probably teach them about alcohol addiction and the consequences of alcohol addiction. And even if they're not trying to lead them back into the church, they're going to try to help the person. In a cult, the difference is so significant that the person needing help is usually the one who is severed from the group. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. And I have a very concrete example of a friend who recently left a church that she grew up in. So she's been in this church for over 30 years. Um, yeah, raised in that church, you know, went away to college and so was gone for a bit, but came back and they do memberships there. So she was an official member and all of those things, which can, you know, hold a little bit of a a higher level of involvement when you say that you're going to become a member. It's kind of this commitment to that specific, um, church, um, little C church. (laughs) And so, She ended up stepping away because she just felt there were various reasons. It didn't seem like it was the place for her anymore. And she went to leadership and spoke to them about it and said, you know, these are some concerns I have about just we're just not in agreement. And I think they're significant enough at this point where I do need to walk away. But I love you guys. Um, Good terms. And they supported her genuinely of we're glad that you're growing up and moving on and settling into yourself and your beliefs and your doctrine and this is good. And they're still on good terms. She still meets up with people from the church and everything. And it's just, that is a healthy church. That is such a good example of what this can look like. There was no public shaming that she left. And this wasn't a mega church either. You know, it's maybe a few hundred people or something. So, and and she was a leader um, on the worship team. And so it's like she, her absence was noticed Mm -hmm. and still it was a beautiful send off and the door is open. Right. The pain is so severe that I've noticed that even after escaping the cult and becoming a member of a new church, if the new church isn't a fit and the family, you know, is thinking about leaving, that same fear that's instilled to them of leaving their cult applies to the first, the second, sometimes the third church that they attend until they experience what a healthy church is when you leave. Oh, yeah. And and everyone, not every church, mainstream church, is healthy. And that's right. a really unfortunate truth. I mean, if you think about it, it makes sense. You know, it's people running it and there's unhealthy people out there. And so it's not, oh, any church I go to, I'm going to have a great experience. No, like that's where Be Emboldened focuses on education. Um, and John, I mean, this is part of what we talk about here. We want people not to get re-victimized in a right. mainstream religious abuse scenario. And that's a right. very real possibility. And I don't want to say that to scare people away from investigating their faith and determining what their worldview is going to be, what their belief system is going to be, and checking things out. But it's just having a caution of... No, these churches aren't cults, but but there can be some cultish attributes. And so we want to become more aware of what those are. So we recognize them quickly. We safeguard ourselves and we don't get involved. Right. Next question. My wife and I left an abusive religion. Almost every sermon focused on what they said were signs of destruction that was soon to come. And we were, we were really pressured to conform to their rules. If we didn't, we were told that we too would be destroyed. Now that we've left, it seems that each natural disaster is triggering. 
whether it's an earthquake off the coast of California, hurricanes impacting Haiti, storms flooding, and more, we seem to be reliving painful memories. Will we ever get over this? Gosh, so I'm going to start this answer with a personal story. Um, I remember coming to California and like out of the cult for years, John. I think maybe I've mentioned right. this before, but it still popped up in my head of like, oh, is that the place to go? Like, I don't want to be there if it sinks. And I'm like, okay, I mean, let's let's work that through. Um, <laughs> and that's the part I would say is, yes, it can get better. Yes, it does get better with time. I would say for most people, it does take active mental and emotional work, though, to de-trigger these things. It tends not to just automatically happen because they can be like so deep in our brains and our, our wiring in our brains and that there's just such a strong attachment that even years later, like for me, it can just kind of pop back up out of nowhere. And so we do have to do some mental work and emotional work to desensitize these triggers. Um, for me, because I had been so many years out and I had done so much of that work, it was really quick to debunk it, but it's just crazy how it's still, it's still there. It still comes up. Um, and part of it is just reminding ourselves that we're safe. Self-talk might sound crazy, but it's actually very helpful. So, and you don't necessarily have to say it aloud. I mean, if you're in front of other people, maybe don't, that's up to you and your comfort level, but even just saying in your own mind, like, I am safe right now. I am safe in my body. I am safe with the people I'm around. This is not the same. This is not what they told me. The situation is different. And here's why. I know that I know that earthquakes happen. They've been happening forever. So how is this one different than those ones? You know, so we have to go through that that intellectual side. I would encourage you to have some calming techniques in place, though, for yourself to go along with that because our bodies just react. So even mentally, as you're going through like, okay, there's always been earthquakes since like forever. There's, you know, been floodings. There's been storms. Um, none of those trigger the end times. And so um, none of that triggered like the end of the world in that moment. And so, okay, I know this stuff just happens um, and it is sad. And people do get harmed, and that's important, and yet it doesn't mean what my cult said it meant. So as you're working all that through, the body's still responding. You're likely holding tension. You're likely really tense. You're likely having a, an elevated heart rate and, and all of these sorts of things. You're feeling anxious. You're feeling scared. So different techniques that are going to help you, one, stay in your body so you don't dissociate if that's something that you struggle with. I know I did. Um and that's going to help your sensory nervous system also calm down. So again, different calming techniques. There's things like um, having a weighted blanket. They have some that are actually portable, so they only weigh a few pounds. You can keep them in your purse, ladies. Um, if you keep something that's like sour, like a lemon head in your bag and pop that in your mouth, it just like gives you that burst of, whoo, yeah, like I'm here, I'm present. Um, go and get yourself a nice hot beverage that you can hold. For me, it's like, there's like those good mugs, you know, where they just feel, I'm saying this to you, John, I don't know if you agree with me, but there's some <laughs> mugs that just feel nice to hold. Are you with me on this? I, I so, love my Yeti. It is so <laughs> nice to hold. 
<laughs> so whatever it is for you, and I'm, I know some of what I'm saying, maybe a woman resonates with more, but definitely like men too. Like sometimes it's, it's emotion, like kind of rocking back and forth. You need to get up in pace. You need to move whatever that looks like for you. I love a swinging motion. So I have a glider. Um, and that's very calming for me. So certain power music. tools. Men like power, power tools, tools. There you go. What about music though, John? Like there's got to be like certain music, you know, that's like really like, okay, like I'm calm. This is helpful. Yeah. Um. So I just, I wanted to bring that into the conversation because a lot of this is we're telling ourselves the truth. We're doing the self-talk and reminding ourselves what's real. Um, but our bodies still hold that tension. There's this incredible book called um, The Body Tells the Score. It is phenomenal. It is one of the most triggering books I've ever read in my life because it's so accurate and so perfectly captured my experience of my body responding to the trauma, even when mentally I didn't feel like I was anymore. I didn't think I was anymore, how my body was responding to it and how that happens, like the the connection with the brain and the body. Um, it's really fascinating. If you're in a place where you can take it, you know, a few pages at a time, um, it's super, super helpful. But again, you might want to have some of those calming techniques with you when you actually read it, because it's probably really going to speak to you. You're going to feel like this man was in your head when he wrote it. Right. This question is describing a doomsday cult. There are different types of cults. There are healthy cults, believe it or not, groups of people who are gathered together for a healthy cause. There are destructive cults, groups of, you know, very, very extremely unhealthy groups of people. A doomsday cult is a level above the destructive cult. It is a destructive cult that has a focus of doom, destruction, fear. And back to the water balloon example, the Band-Aid that they put in the hole is fear. They Fear of destruction, fear of doom. You're going to be doomed with them if you don't stay in this water balloon and stay with the rest of the water in the balloon. Um, you know, the, the types of destruction that they use to, to, to keep people held bound by fear... As a historian, if you go back through time and just look at the different types of examples they use, they're examples that repeat every, you know, five years, ten years. Um, the California example, I remember the very first time that I had to fly to California on business. When I step off of that plane, just the, the act of my feet touching the ground, I felt that same exact feeling that I had the first time that I was on the top of that hill for the roller coaster and that sudden gush of of whatever it is in my stomach. It, I was gut punched whenever I stepped in California because that was one of the doomsday prophecies. The prophet for the cult that we escaped said that before his son was an old man, you know, his son's, I don't know, 80, 90 years old right now. Before he's an old man, California, specifically Los Angeles, is going to sink beneath the ocean. I was landing in Los Angeles, right? So I'm just, I'm mortified. And that fear stayed with me most of the time I was there because I was very indoctrinated to believe this. But after leaving, after escaping the group, after researching and pouring, I don't know how many hours of research into just doomsday, it's funny because California has had earthquakes as long as there has been newspapers to report California having earthquakes. And all of the political turmoil that they use to capitalize this type of fear, end of days destruction, world wars, etc., 
this has been going on since the dawn of time. I mean, even go back into the ancient days, you've got nations rising up against nations for as long as mankind has existed. But they try to say that it's getting worse now. What was interesting for me specifically was one of the arguments that I heard continually growing up is that mankind themselves are getting worse. You're scared to take your kids out onto the streets. You're scared to let them play on the streets because there's so many evil people in your city. Well, just, you know, 1915, I'm reading through newspapers of murderers who are snatching kids out of the city that I live in and who are abducting kid children, murdering them and leaving their bodies on the streets. The difference is in today's world, it's more reported because we have access to media everywhere. In the days of yesteryear, you really only had the newspaper and later on the radio, but the same evil has existed also since the dawn of time. So the, for me, the way to conquer this fear is to just put it into proper perspective. What is it they're trying to sell in terms of fear? And is it a valid fear? Some, you know, there are some valid fears. There are, you know, if you're going to right now, Ukraine is the center of the world attention. If you're going into Ukraine right now, that is a real fear. Stay away from Ukraine while this political turmoil is going on. Is this political turmoil the end of the world? I can't say that it is. I can't say that it isn't. I can tell you that this has been going on for many, many, many years. Even in my lifetime, I've seen Russia and Ukraine, the tensions long before this. So you have to put it into perspective. What is it they're trying to sell you? But more than that, specifically, why are they trying to sell it to you? If this is a church who is supposed to be a Christian church, are they giving you the answer and are they focusing on the answer or are they giving you the consequence and focusing on the consequence? A doomsday cult will focus on the consequence and not the answer. Oh, yeah, I love those examples, too. Um, I was just thinking through like, just gosh, feeling that fear that I was raised with everything, everything right. was terrifying. Everything was terrifying. And some things were, were fair. Like my dad was terrifying. That was fair. That was valid. He was a scary man. Um, but good heavens. Yeah. Everything was a, a girl wearing pants was terrifying. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything was so bad. And because of that, I mean, I was afraid to do anything. I remember being like 20 and still being like, I need to ask my dad for permission to do something because I just need to know that he thinks I'll be safe while I do it. Right. It wasn't really I need. We had a very magical 18, 18 year birthday um, in our household. When we were 18, we really got to do what we wanted, which is really interesting um, in my group. But I was able to do that. And so it was at least that way for my family. I don't know if it's spread through the whole group, but my dad, it was kind of like, okay, now I'm not responsible for you anymore. So go do what you're going to do. <laughs> um, and we did, but I was just afraid where, yeah, I wanted to know that he was saying I was going to be okay. So it was less about permission and more about, I'm not going to die, right? Like if I travel, like right. I studied abroad in Australia for six months, do you think the world's going to end while I'm there? Do you think I'm safe to go there? So it just, it creates this dependence. Right. On hearing what the leader has to say, because you're so afraid to take a step without that, 
because the leader's the one who knows. Right. And you don't know. So you have to hear it from them. And so, yeah, the the dependence upon the leader is so incredibly unhealthy. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that William Brenham said that by the before his son was an old man, what a brilliant way to say it, because he knew he'd be dead by then. <laughs> I know I've often thought about that. What does the sun think? Because, you know, the sun knows it's not real. That There are so many things that we've uncovered that there's just, there's no way that these people don't know this stuff. So what does he do, right? He His dad's dead. He's now looking at this and he's going around touring. He has to say what his dad says in order for the money to keep flowing. I just, I don't get it, man. How can you, how can you do this, right? You know, it's not real. Yeah. Daddy wasn't worried about his son. He's just, hey, got to keep my butt covered till I'm gone and then <laughs> just leave the mess to everybody else. Yeah. Gosh. All right. Next question. I was born and raised in a cult and I'm, the o- I'm only one of several family members who are still in it. It has really changed our relationship from happy and cheerful to almost unbearable. Each time I'm around them, They're very insulting to me about my unbelief and my changes in lifestyle. If something bad happens to one of them, no matter what it is, they say it is because I am sinning. I want my family back, the family that used to love me. I'll never go back to that religion, but I still want them back. What do I do? Gosh, there's several angles to take this answer from. First, I would say... You don't really just start, stop loving someone instantly like that. So I would like to offer to you that they're responding out of the fear and fear that they've been indoctrinated with, as well as probably a genuine concern that you're no longer saved. And so the way people in groups like that get you to come back is they beat you into it. They don't love you into it. Um, and so I would just, I would offer a reframing that is awful and is unacceptable. This is not okay as their behavior is. It's not necessarily indicative of them not loving you anymore and them not caring for you anymore. So I just, I just wanted to start there. And again, it doesn't make it okay, but I think it could be an important clarification. Again, just the way us humans work, we don't just suddenly not love our kids anymore. Um, instead, we're really concerned and upset. And so we just try to bully them back in. I'm not saying we do that. I don't do that. John, I'm sure you don't do that. But in these unhealthy groups, we do that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we've been taught to do. So as far as what you should do, you might need some space for a while. Um, My first concern in this question is the person who's asking it. Are you safe? Are you okay? Are you getting what you need? It doesn't sound like you are. And so I want to make sure that you do. And it's possible that some space for a period of time will give you the opportunity to move further along in your own spirit, your own healing journey, um, spiritual, emotional, psychological, a uh, physical healing, if there's been physical abuse that's gone on. So as a total person, it may be of service to you to have a gap. Um, so I just want to offer that it may be something where you're like, absolutely not. That's the last thing I want to do. I totally respect that. But it's a concern I would have if I were your therapist. 
I would right. want to make sure that you were in a healthy place um, before you were stepping back into that kind of environment where you're not being treated as you should be because you're not being treated as you should be. Um, there certainly is scripture that speaks against this view, whether you believe, um, in the words in the Bible or not, if your group does, it can be useful sometimes to bring them up and to know what some of them are. If I did this in my group, it probably wouldn't work, but I just wanted to provide it as a potential option in case it would be for you. Um, like Deuteronomy 24, 16, parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. Mark 12, 31, the second is this. This is, you know, our top two or our two commandments. Um, in the New Testament, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. So those are a couple of scriptures. Um, I find it helpful uh, with doomsday cults, especially ones like this is a good example of one where the Old Testament is used really heavily. So to show an actual Old Testament scripture to people who are still indoctrinated um, can be really helpful if it contradicts their view. New Testament, they typically don't give as much weight to, so it may not be as effective. Again, this would not work for my group, but it may work for yours, so I wanted to point it out. And I think lastly, there is, um, gosh, there's a need for a level of acceptance for the situation while still maintaining hope that it's going to change. Right. And so I'm going to break that down a little bit. So accepting... That just like they don't have the power to convert you back, you don't have the power to make their decisions for them. And yet there is hope that they'll see the flaws in their belief system, just like you did, and make a change in their relationship with you or beyond that even change their worldview. Again, you changed. And so there's hope for them to change. And yet this is where where they are right now. And I would say one of the biggest conversations I have with people is around acceptance. And again, acceptance with hope. It's not acceptance of like, well, there's no shot. I'm just done with everybody. No, they could change just like you've changed. We want to remember that. And yet this is where they are. And just like my powers, their powers limited and impacting me, my powers limited and impacting them. And so I need to, to understand they're not where I am. And what do I do with that information? Do I continue to put myself in a place that's unhealthy and where I'm getting beat up? Or again, do I need to to take some space? Right. Whenever I used to get this type of question into the support groups, I first wanted to assure everybody that everything's going to be okay. Everything is going to work out in the end because it's human nature to try to console and try to give hope. I've learned over time to be more realistic because not in all cases is there the same type of hope. There is always hope, but there's not always the same type. And I've learned to be very blunt and to the point. There may be situations where your family members put the cult above the relationship. It is very common. There are also many examples where that is not the case, and it really comes down to this one underlying question. Was the relationship with your family rooted in family, or was it rooted in cult? If the cult has, if the number one priority of the cult is the internal structure of the cult, then anybody who opposes that structure, they're programmed to sever. And that's the way a destructive 
difficult works, like back to the water balloon example. There, whatever's causing the water to come out, they cut it off, and they contain the rest of the water there. That's what they're programmed to do. That doesn't mean that the family would do that under natural circumstances. Naturally, there's the mother's love, there's the father's love, and in a, in a normal situation where a family is not raised in a cult, they would do everything within their power to mend the relationship. Versus in a cult, they will do everything in their power to sever what is destruct, what is potential for the implosion of the cult. So not in every case does it work out. I have seen many cases, however, where families were very close and, um, you know, they just put aside their differences. They realize that this person is no longer, quote unquote, one of them, considering the cult as the them instead of Christianity as the them. But they still, you know, work through the issues. Um, I have very close friends who one family member, um, the father is still a member of the cult. The mother and some of the siblings are no longer a member of the cult. And they still have a very healthy family. I have also friends and loved ones who are may never have a relationship back again ever because their family was so indoctrinated and stands so much to lose that there's no way that they're going to bring the family together unless something significant changes in their lives. And again, there is always that hope that something could change, but I try to be very realistic. You have to, like you said, you have to work on yourself. Don't try to work on them. You may have to adjust. You may have to adjust in a way that is with them. You may also have to adjust in a way that is without them for a period of time, but you have to adjust. And that's why grief and loss is such an important topic related to exiting a cult or any religiously abusive group, whether it meets cult criteria or not, because losses are taken and there's a very real grieving of that. And when people classically think of grief, they think of, you know, someone has died. It's a very, it's a different kind of grief when the people are still alive because you still have that potential access to them, but yet you don't have access to them. So it's like they're there, but they're just out of reach for one reason or another. And that makes this a more complicated form of grief. And so if you are going through this, I would highly encourage you to seek out grief support That may not be the first thing that you would think of, but that you are grieving losses of family, friends, community, worldview, you know, your belief system. There is, you may have lost your job. There's all kinds of losses. You lost what you thought your future was going to look like. The loss of what your, your future plans were from what you had known. And while there is, there can be a lot of excitement at times as you go through that healing process, you'll start to have more, um, hopefully emotions of, of, uh, kind of anticipation of the possibilities of what your life could be now that you're not in this group anymore. The grief has to be tended to first and then simultaneously as it's, um, starting to transition and it's still going to pop back up at times. Grief is sneaky like that. It's not a linear process and it could be 10 years down the road and all of a sudden, gosh, you're just having a a rough few days again. Um, so 
consider grief support, you guys, if this is something you're going through. Uh, you you absolutely fit into that. And again, it might not be the first thing that you would think of. So yeah, I just want to bring that to your attention. Yeah, the other thing to think of with counseling is shunning because the counselor immediately when they find out that you were in a religious cult or a religious destructive group, they'll ask, were you shunned? And most people, the answer is no, because they think of Amish shunning, where it's a physical, you're not allowed to come back. But many groups, the one that we escaped, for example, practices emotional shunning. And it is technically the same type of shunning. It's just not physical. You can go try to reconnect with your family as much as you want, but they have emotionally cut you off, and the level of connection is no longer the same. You are shunned. All right, next question. One of my family members recently passed away, and for the first time in years, I found myself going back to a cult church to attend a funeral. It brought up several emotions and feelings that I've not felt in a long, long time. I'm told that one of the cult members said that I personally was the reason for their death, me. Though they died of a contagious disease and I had not been around them in years, because I was no longer a cult member, they said that my unbelief caused their death. Is this common? Yeah, so this this can be pretty common. Uh, I've heard this come up quite a bit lately because of the pandemic. And people are being told this. Um, They're being told that people are getting sick and dying because of the unbelief in the congregation at large. Um, There's a group of individuals I've been speaking with for a while now and getting to interact with, which has been great. And this is something that's been coming up a lot in their congregation. It's, It's absurd. Right. It's just absurd. And what fascinates me about this is... The God that this leadership is claiming to serve, like that's just what hits me um, as a Christian is I'm like, so you're believing in a God who would kill someone because of someone else's action who isn't even in the group anymore? Like who isn't even around? Like this person died because that person over there made that choice for their life. Um, so they, I mean, I have no control over that person and yet I could die because they're, I mean, what's, what's the deal with free will in scripture? And I mean, I just, it's very bizarre to me and how is that perfectly just or perfectly loving? Um, so this is not whatever you believe about God, this definitely is not the God in the Bible, um, And that's what really fascinates me is people who would want to rally around that kind of God. I don't want anything to do with that kind of God. If that was the kind of God I thought I was going to spend eternity with, I'd rather go to hell. (laughs) It's the rabbit's foot God, and somebody dropped the rabbit's foot and got it dirty. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, this is, but it's like, I have no shot myself. Like, John, some dude I don't even know walking around Walmart right now could shoot someone and now I'm going to die because that guy, I'm like, I don't even know this person. And so I get this as a family member, but still like you are responsible for your own actions. And I'm not saying now I'm not talking about mind control. This, these are, you know, these can be different topics where there's more to say about that. But generally speaking in broad terms, We are responsible for our actions. I'm not responsible for what someone else does. And so this kind of thinking makes absolutely no logical sense. Um, And 
in a religious context. Let me put it that way, because I can think of scenarios where it's like someone I didn't know did something and does it have a ripple effect where it impacts me? Yes. But in a spiritual sense of this person left the cult, now I'm the second cousin, even if I'm the mom, (laughs) I didn't do it. That person did it. And so where's personal responsibility and why is everyone else paying those consequences? Right. What's I, I think I agree with you. The pandemic is making this more common. Um, I've had this type of question for a few years now from different people whose family members pass away. But recently I had, I want to say, five people at one time ask something similar. There were variations. And then during the time that I'm working with them, I had a family member that passed away. And not quite like this, but a very similar situation happened with that example. People, you know, when they're in a cult, they're trying to reconcile what is happening that defies what the leader is selling. The type of cult that we were in was a divine healing cult. So their rabbit's foot, I I mentioned the rabbit's foot God. I use this example for often because the only reason people stay in this type of cult is so they can rub the rabbit foot and get healed. And they believe, uh, you know, I've had people even just yesterday, somebody was explaining to me that after they left, there was this real fear that because they were no longer a believer, the rabbit's foot would stop working and somebody in the family would get sick or somebody would die. It's, it literally is the rabbit's foot God. You're rubbing it to get something from it, not a God that is all-powerful, who is all-controlling, and who is omnis- omnipotent. Omnip- omnipotent or Om- omniscient? I think you combine the two, <laughs> which is fine. It's it's like a shortcut because it's both. So Yeah, I, I just I don't believe that if the God of the Christian Bible, if you're in a Christian church, if the God of the Christian Bible can be so weak and powerless that the unbelief of one person who has left the fold can cause a death. And in fact, any of the other religions, if they were to encounter this type of saying, they would sit, they would instantly say, well, why don't you join our religion? Our religion doesn't have this weaker God. You know what I mean? So I, I'm with you. This just is completely absurd. Yeah. And I was just thinking as you started to talk, so I'm processing this for the first time, guys. So Bear with me, and maybe we we need to throw this out because maybe it doesn't follow. But with the pandemic, now I don't know this for certain, but just knowing doomsday cults and knowing this one fairly well, um, John, let me know if you disagree, but the pandemic is likely an indicator that it's getting real out there. That like the world is ending, the pandemic is <clears throat> is a part of that. And you know, millions have died tragically, and it's being spun into, you know, what they need it to mean. They need this to mean, mm. y'all better shape up, you better give more money, you better better make sure you're tithing properly, <laughs> and you better be sure that you're listening to us and that you're, you're holding on tight to every word that we say, because otherwise, you know, you're going to get impacted. But those who are here, those who are following me they're going to be safe. So the pandemic is kind of, you know, one of those things, just like world wars and and all this stuff that we've lived through. Depression, I'm sure, was used at that time. Like any of these leaders, they use this stuff that goes on in the world to add fire 
um, to their message of it's coming soon. It's happening now. You better get right with God, quote unquote, but really it's get right with me and do what I say. So when you're teaching that from the pulpit, but then some of your longtime followers who everyone knows, like everyone thinks they're so good and they've been such, you know, loyal followers of this group, they die of that same disease. You got to do something with that, man. Like you got to reconcile that or you're going to have dissension. And you can't have that. And so what do you do? You blame it on everybody else because you can't really blame it on that person because it's not going to go over well. People are grieving. They're feeling love for that person. They're feeling the loss. Um, It's just they're not going to accept it super well that, well, that person was a hidden sinner. And that's why it's just not going to go over. And so you blame it on everyone else. And then the added bonus is that then they all hold on tighter. They all get clingier. So it's kind of this this win all the way around, but it would put the leadership in a position of we've got to spin this somehow or people mm-hmm. are going to start asking questions. We cannot have questions being asked because we don't have answers. Yeah, That's my hypothesis. You know, and not every case is the leadership using examples such as the pandemic as a tool for you know, corralling the people, but they're programmed to do this. So it event- it happens whether or not their intentions are to do this or not. It, again, this is a doomsday cult that we're describing. And in a doomsday cult, there has to be a climactic event. And that climactic event has to somehow fit into what the quote-unquote prophet or central figure described would be the climax. The, the reason why you're a member of this group is because of the climax. Otherwise, why not just join any other church out there? You have to believe that there is this climax coming, and if you stay with this group, you will be safe during the climax. That's how a destructive cult works, and that's how a doomsday cult works. So the pandemic is just one example. It in no way, shape, or form matches the cult that I escaped from, their theology of what the end of days would look like. There was no global pandemic in their end of days theology. But I'm listening to example after example of ministers who unknowingly or knowingly, one of the two, is integrating the pandemic into the end of days theology. Whether whether they know that they're doing it or not is irrelevant. They are doing it, and people are being held captive by fear. They're, they're in this water balloon, and the, the pastors are telling them that if something doesn't happen very soon, you're going to fall out of this balloon, and you'll die with the rest of the people. They're trying to keep the people in there, and they're programmed to do so. I try to remember to give this disclaimer and I tend to forget because in my mind, I I automatically insert it. So I'm glad you brought this up about it not always being intentional. I stand by that and pretty much enter every answer I give about cults. Um, It's not always intentional. There are groups out there where it's very calculated and it's intentional. And good heavens, when I look at the research you've done, John, I can't say none of that was intentional. So (laughs) there's definitely things that are intentional. Um, But that doesn't carry over to everyone. So if I'm going to explain this to someone, think of anyone who's raised a child. So I know know I'm excluding people out there, but as a a mom of a little guy, um, this is just kind of where my head goes these days. But I remember the first time he lied when he was like two. Or two and a half. And it was just, he got caught doing something. And so it's not like he's, he doesn't even have 
the intellectual ability as a two-year-old to calculate out, I'm going to say this to mama because I know that this is what's going to happen if I don't. And then, so if I lie this a lot, like he's not sitting there thinking through, here are my options. Here are the likely consequences for each. And so I'm going to make this decision. Like it's just this knee jerk reaction, automatic. I have to respond. So I think this, and this plays out for us adult as adults. Like think if you were at work and all of a sudden you're in your review and and something gets brought up and you're like, (gasps) I wasn't expecting that. And they're just like, you know, we have a higher level of thought. Hopefully we have a higher level of maturity than a two-year-old. And so we might process that through differently, but there's still this innate response um, of, okay, we got to, we got to cover ourselves or this needs to fit. This needs to make sense to me. Um, And I think we do that. I mean, gosh, I did that when my dad died. He was the prophet who wasn't supposed to be able to die. So I rationalized why he died based on dreams he had had beforehand. It's like we need our brains are wanting to maintain what our whole lives have been built around. And so we're trying to salvage that somehow. Um, So again, and even that isn't the thought I need to salvage that somehow. I never thought that I just did it. And so we do these things. um, And Self-awareness is huge. Um, Intentionality is huge. Slowing down and considering. That's something else I do as a parent. Why can't he eat dessert before dinner? As long (laughs) as he still eats his dinner, does it matter? Right. You know? And so just thinking through these things and be like, well, maybe it's because he'll be too full and he won't actually eat his dinner. Okay, that's a valid point. But we just do this stuff and we don't necessarily (laughs) know why we do it. Um, And so to use some more lighthearted examples... This is oftentimes what's going on with leadership of these groups is they're just doing it out of what they know, and they're not really taking the time and being self-aware to ask those questions because they certainly have not been taught to do that. They've been taught the opposite. You just do. You don't question. You don't think. You certainly don't critically think. You don't wonder. You don't dream. You don't do any of those things. You just do and you you keep it running. You keep the system running. So yes, likely, unlikely that it's that there's that much forethought going into these scenarios. Right. And the child example is very good because I'm no psychologist, but from, from what I've read of psychology, People in these types of destructive cult groups, they they enter into this weird parent-child relationship with the cult leader. The cult leader is very verbally, emotionally, sometimes physically abusive, and they they're just constantly, constantly just beating them into submission. And the people who are being beaten enter into this abusive child relationship with the the central figure, and. Mentally, some of the things that they do and say even somewhat mimic that of what a child would, how a child would react to that situation. So it's very fitting. It's it's fascinating and more than I'm qualified to explain. But I find the whole thing just extremely interesting. Something to add to that is people who are raised in these kinds of doomsday, highly authoritative, you know, controlling situations, these groups, there isn't a focus on 
like EQ, like your emotional, (laughs) your emotional maturing, you're not taught these things. You're likely not even taught a lot of basic skills, like, you know, how to make a budget and how to use a bank account and write checks. You're probably not even, unless you're in some sort of home course or something where those things are covered, like you probably aren't taught a lot of these basics of functioning outside of the group when you're in mainstream society you're really not taught how how do i manage anger what do i do mm. with that when i feel angry right. how do i express those emotions in a healthy way that's not harmful to myself or others um what do i do when i how what is self awareness good heavens good like seriously coming out of a group like that good heavens what does that mean right <laughs> um we're not taught these things so oftentimes we find ourselves as adults exiting the group and when it comes to that kind of personal insight and that kind of self-awareness and that kind of, you know, higher ability uh, to process emotions and know what to do with them and express them in a healthy way, we're not super beyond my child. Um, And I do not say that as a stab at anyone. Um, We have all been through this and for most of us um, in situations like this have this to some degree, we have this struggle and it's because we were just told to stop it and fall in line. And so we don't know how to express ourselves. And that can really be a barrier for us as, as we start to exit groups and we start to figure out how to function in the real world. Um, and I've noticed that a lot lately. It's really been coming to my attention um, just as a repeated theme that's coming up with people I'm talking with. And they're so capable of learning and they want to, and, and they're investigating and they're asking themselves and, and they, they want this. They like have such a hunger for it and it's incredible. Um, and so they're going to get there. They're going to get where they want to go because they want to, and they're figuring right. it out. And so it's really exciting. It's an incredible journey to walk with someone, but for any of you who has stepped out and you're like, good heavens, I don't feel like I have the tools that I need for this world out here. You don't. And it's because they didn't bother to teach you. They were just trying to get to the rapture or whatever it is that they think is going to happen. And they didn't really bother on you really developing holistically, excuse me, holistically as a human being. Right. Yeah. And I think I'll qualify that a bit for people who are either newly escaped from a cult or who are still in it and are listening to the show. This was a surprise for me that church in the in the real world and in, in the non-cult world church is a community it's a community of people they're gathering together around a common purpose you know Jesus Christ etc but it's more than that it is a community where they help each other and one of the churches that we attended post cult they had classes like this where they would teach you I can't remember the exact classes, but it might have been financial planning. I know some of them were how to deal with issues, anger, etc. This would have been seen as blasphemy in a doomsday cult. Why are you not, why is this thing not about Jesus Christ? You know, it wasn't even the sermon. It was an after church activity and people were gathering. But we would have seen this as the church is being invaded by, by evil forces because they're helping people. And that's not the way it works. It, it is supposed to be a, a community. All right, last question. We recently escaped a very abusive church that believed in the pre-tribulation rapture theology and started attending another church. 
Our new church does not teach the rapture, and I'm not certain whether I still believe it like they taught. One of the things the pastor said was that God was continually postponing the rapture because we were not holy enough. Is this scriptural? No. (laughs) We're done. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, you guys. So I'm not going to tell you what end time view is correct because I don't know. You know, there's, there's wiggle room within christianity you know for for where you land um your theological position on this so and actually even depending there's four to six different end time views um more classically there's four but i've also seen it broken down as six so we don't know which which one is correct um in my personal opinion the rapture has very little evidence going for it um and it's it is a later theological position in the church at large so it came up way more recently than the others and there just doesn't seem to be as much backing for it you could totally disagree with me and we would still have dinner it doesn't matter <laughs> and it's not it's it's <laughs> not a it's not an essential thing that to agree on even in christianity so that's just my opinion um but I don't even think that's the main point in this question. I just wanted to throw that out there for people. So the rapture in general is an unanswerable question for certain to begin with. So I think that's important to note. Then to keep saying that it's getting pushed out because of a lack of holiness, um, like we're we're never in Christianity. We're not going to be holy enough. And that's why there's Jesus. And so we can just take that pressure off. We're not going to be able to earn what Jesus Christ did for us on our behalf because we weren't going to get there on our own. Like that was already known. Um, So this is like saying, I don't need Jesus's death and resurrection. I can achieve holiness on my own without his sacrifice. Like that's the effort that's being made here in this statement that, you know, the, the rapture keeps getting pushed out because you're not holy enough. It's like, well, a doomsday cult could definitely say that, but they they couldn't claim any form of Christianity because they've eliminated Jesus Christ. So, you know, call yourselves what you are anyway and just get rid of that. Um, so tell it to the thousands of years. Oh, my goodness. When I think about the Old Testament history with the Israelites, it's like they were never quite able to attain that level of holiness. And so for me to be arrogant enough to think I'm we're the generation that's going to do it, everyone. <laughs> None of them could do it for thousands of years um, based on this documentation we have. Again, whether you believe all that's true or not, um, I don't know why someone would think that they could suddenly do that. Like, I'm going to strong arm myself into perfection. So we're not going to. That's the point. We need grace. We need Jesus Christ. Um, And you're most likely being told this because the pastor wants you to do something that you're not doing. He wants you to be as easily controlled as possible, and fear is a great way to achieve that goal. So again, look at look at the potential intention behind what someone's doing, whether it's calculated or not. Um, someone can be emotionally abusive and not intend to be emotionally abusive. Someone can be psychologically abusive and not intend to be psychologically abusive, but that's just where they're at. And because of it, we want to get some space between them and us because they are emotionally and psychologically abusive. So 
that was maybe a bit of a long-winded answer, but there's just, there's a lot in that question that's problematic. <laughs> Again, the rapture right. theology to begin with, we don't know for sure. And then if we're going to like now the rapture that we're not even sure of is getting postponed because I'm not holy enough. Like there minimally is nothing scriptural about that at all. There's nothing biblical. There's nothing Christian about that at all. And there's definitely another motive then. So let's look at that. All right. Destructive cults like to have a carrot on a stick. They're a pyramid hierarchy, and a rank-and-file member can almost never move up to the middle tier. Usually, they're either a family member or they have money. Usually, but not in all cases. But the rank-and-file member can never get the carrot that is on the stick. And the middle tier can never be the central figure because, well, there can only be one central figure of a cult or, in some cases, a duplicity, etc. But the, the middle tier can never achieve the top of the pyramid because it is a pyramid scheme. That's how a cult works. What they do is they take theologies and they position them as absolutes. You absolutely must believe our version of the rapture. And if you believe our version of the rapture, then our version is the version that saves you. And if you're not holy enough, then there's something wrong with our with our timeline. So let's push the rapture back. That's essentially what's going on here. What's interesting to me is whenever I left the cult that we escaped, we entered into a church where there were multiple elders. It was not a pyramid. There was not even one single pastor. There were a multiplicity of pastors. And each of them held a different view on the end of days, the rapture theology, um, eschatology. And I, I was shocked at this because I was like, you know, I was trained to believe that you have to believe it exactly as the church says, or you're out, we're going to cut you off. And I was sitting listening to these guys, and they were openly debating on <laughs> trying to, you know, push their idea on the other one. But they, they did it in a friendly way. Like, they knew they were not going to convince the other guy to conform. They weren't even trying to make him conform, but they were just poking fun at him. And for me, that was blasphemy. You don't poke fun about a doctrine, right? And I, I, I went into this deep, deep, deep study on rapture theology. I was fully shocked whenever I learned that it was only a few hundred years old. 200, I think it was. And the early church had no, like the Apostle Paul says, we who are alive and remain. He, he did not even know the timeline. And the earliest, what was his name? Eusebius, the father of church history. He took a position that the rap, that the uh, end of days theology, Armageddon and everything, was not in our future. He went through the book of Revelation and walked you through, this happened in A.D. 70 in Rome. This happened right after A.D. 70 in Rome. So he didn't believe it in the way that just, I don't know, it was like 50 years later, another great founder of the uh, father of the Christian religion took a different position. And they all just kind of go back and forth because, well, to be frank, there is no explicit instructions of the, how <laughs> the end of days is going to come according to the Bible. So you have to add your own interpretations and your own understanding. And in doing so, you make all these branches that really have no absolutes. So as I'm trying to wrap my brain around this, having been taught that you must have an absolute doctrine or you are unfaithful, 
I'm, I'm learning that that's not really the case. There is black and white, but there are also a whole lot of grays, and the grays are the ones that don't matter. Because if it were black and white, if it, were, if it mattered, it would be explicit. So for me to learn that rapture theology didn't matter, I was just completely shocked. I can't believe this. This was fundamentally core to a doomsday cult that I was in. And I sense, I, I went on this journey because now I'm free to explore, right? So I entertained the idea of one of the four major um, views on the rapture, on the end of days theology. And I entertained the idea and it looked correct. So I thought, well, maybe this is what I am. So then I started looking at a different one and sure enough, there were so many scriptures that applied to the second view. And I tried the third and I tried the fourth. And where I ended up was, was this, no man's going to know. And it doesn't really matter. And I don't have to live in fear that this thing is coming. I have a very close family member who the rapture theology literally crippled with fear. Every day when she was, tr she was told to get onto the bus for school, she would cry, run home, run, run to her mother's arms, grab her leg, literally fought daily because she was scared she would be in school and the rapture would come and she would be separated from her mother. That's how harmful this doctrine is to children in these types of religions. If you're pushing this doctrine and you're using it for fear, your children will be for life, they will be impacted by this fear that you're teaching them. It is absolutely horrific. Oh my gosh, that's so sad. <clears throat> that poor little girl to go through that. Good grief. And yes, I mean, we don't release video, at least as of now. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I'm just nodding and like, yes, no, yes, no. <laughs> this does not... I don't say this flippantly, you guys. It's just, and and I hope John and I never come across flippant for something that is serious when you're really living in it. And we've had that time frame where it was serious for us. And I think just where we're at now, it's silly to even talk about. Like, it just feels, because it's like, I guess if someone's right. just interested in it, and some people are, like my husband's just like interested in it. He finds it interesting. So he, he likes to read some stuff about it. He's never going to argue anyone, but it's like fun intellectual conversation, you know, in a loving kind way where no one, everyone knows, no one knows if they're right or not. Right. Um, I just find it a silly waste of time. I don't, I don't find any value in having conversations about it at all. And, and yes, I can even use scripture to back that up. It just says, be ready because you don't know. So that's really all we need. And unfortunately, these groups use it. Yeah, they use it as it's kind of the trump card. Yeah. And they use it over and over again. And they also use it as a reason to not really worry about developing anything else. I mean, good heavens, can you imagine if cults really fully ran this world? Like, we'd still be living how many thousands of years ago? Like, we wouldn't have internet. We wouldn't have, we'd be like in buggies. Like, mm. I mean, nothing would have happened because everyone's like, just stay the same and stay put. And, yeah. and no, no achievement, you know, no progress. Like, we're just going to keep everything exactly as it is. And even internally, like we're not going to grow in our knowledge of ourselves. And, and people can, I've heard people make comments about 
Well, that's also so self-focused, the idea of like self-awareness and, and knowing your intention for something and how do I process emotion? How do I communicate? How do I, and there's a lot of eyes in that, but really it's also that we are the the best version of ourselves. And we can, if we're Christian, we can tie that to sanctification and growing and becoming more like Christ and being able to have a better, deeper relationships with others. And that's such a beautiful thing. And so it's not just selfish. It's, it's for everyone that we continue to evolve as we grow older. And when we get caught up in this, the world's ending, then why even bother? Why get an education? Why learn anything? Why, why do anything? Why dream? Right. Why, why anything? And so everything's just shut down. All personal, right. internal, and external progress is just shut down. And so, yeah, this is really, really harmful doctrine. And so, again, when I kind of laugh about it, like, why do we even talk about this? Mm-hmm. It's because of where I'm at. And I recognize we just don't know the answer. Um but the way it's used and the way it's wielded against others um, is incredibly important. Yeah. Well, and we have a few remaining examples of nations that are led by a cult, that nations that themselves are the hierarchy of a cult, North Korea, for example. And it's interesting because even cult members will make fun of the North Korean leadership as rocket man. They, you know, they give them the Trump label, et cetera. But they, they realize that something's really wrong with this hierarchy, putting this one man in control who is mentally unstable is very, very wrong. And, you know, I, I, for me, if I were to sum this entire episode up in one word, in one sentence, I would say, don't, don't let the fear bind you. There are things to fear. There are things that fear can be healthy. There are things that you should fear. You should fear putting your hand on a hot stove because you're going to burn your hand. But things that are inventions of men, there's no reason to fear an invention of man. And if you study some of these things out and study the reasons why they say them and the reasons why they exist, it's literally to hold captive by fear. So if I were to sum this episode up and into a set of instructions, it's research what you've been taught, you know, study and try to understand why the reasons why they say the things that they do. And when you come out on the other side, you'll be so, you'll feel this pressure just suddenly release. We have seen photographs of people who were in these types of abusive religions and just five years or even less after escaping, the photograph of the person even smiling, happy, joyful, from five years before while they were in the cult, and then the comparison, the photograph after the cult, they looked like they were sickly in the cult. Even though they had no disease, the fear had literally, fear has a physical manifestation. It was literally oppressing them to the point of sickness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, going back to that book I had referenced earlier of how the body keeps the score your body's going to show those emotions that's those stressors that you're holding within it um this isn't some kind of new age voodoo kind of thing i'm saying this is just physi- physiological science like <laughs> right. your body does this and for those of you who gosh where your some of your questions were answered in this episode <clears throat> it is so painful and you guys it just sucks It sucks Mm. to be in this position where these untrue, horrific things are being said about you. 
excuse me, it's so unfortunate. It's so unjust. It's unfair. And you're likely in a position where you can't defend yourself because nobody's going to listen to you in that group. And there's just, the only way to say that is that is just shitty. (laughs) Or John, if you don't want me to say that, that's just crappy. If you want to edit that out, (laughs) whatever word, whatever bad word you want to use, like it's just awful. It's a terrible situation to be in. It's something no one should have to be put through. And yet remind yourself of what the truth is and hold on to that. You know that you didn't do those things. You know that that story that's being told is not the true story. You know that's not really what happened. You know that that's not really who you are. And if you're questioning that, call me. I will remind you. Absolutely. If you have questions that you'd like to hear on our show, please send them to us. You can contact us on the contact page of freeandclearshow.com, and we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you become free and clear. Yeah.